2: Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss, but more importantly, it's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Welcome, everybody, back to the podcast. I have a great guest today that is going to talk about a topic that Well, two topics, really, that I haven't touched on. First is addiction, which I know very intimately. My um, brother-in-law is 14 years sober off of Oxycontin and alcohol. And actually, we always thought that he would be the one that would not make it. And my husband was the healthy, athletic kind of dad. Um, and so that was kind of a, a switch in our lives that we ever expected that he would be here. So I'd love to talk about addiction with you. And then I'd also love to talk about just a different way of looking at grief. So our guest today is Karen Johnson, and I'm going to let her explain because I have read and read about you online, but it's there's so many different parts of you. You were a, a judge, correct? Yep, in Washington, D.C. Okay. I'm and a and you a administrative law judge, yep. Yeah. Okay, and where did you go to school? Georgetown in
1: in uh, Washington DC, Georgetown. Okay,
2: Boston. okay. And how long were you a judge? Uh, about eleven years. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so
2: I'm a lawyer
1: for thirty.
2: So mm-hmm. perfect. So she was in a very corporate, regular, high end, high pressure job, and from what I understand, your son had a drug addiction. So do you want to just kind of start there? So in in the life before the loss.
1: Yeah. So, you know, many of us break everything into before death day and after death day. And so addiction is a tricky, tricky subject because it comes in so many different forms. So with my son, you know, he died of a heroin overdose. They'd gone to a party with friends. They got drunk and they decided they were going to try heroin. So he didn't have any other needle marks in him. And he wasn't an addict in the classic sense. But, you know, whether or not he was experimenting with other things, I, I just don't know. I don't know if I'll ever know. So and then there's other forms of addiction that are just like that, where people just live, end up losing their entire lives to it. And, um, and you know, then there's all, all of us that are left behind that are the caregivers, lots of parents out there. So fentanyl has come to the forefront. And, you know, it's just been a Killer for so many people, hundred thousand people a day, something like that. I mean, we lose a lot of people every day to drugs, and it's it's gotten worse and worse over the last few years. COVID, people didn't have access to treatment, and so it's just been. There's so many hurting families, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, and never mind those that have survived the op- opioid addictions. So
2: right, so 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 I can get so I'm clear. So from what you knew you did not live with your son as an addict per se. No. He wasn't. So his was an accidental, like maybe first time use. and Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But whatever it was, it wasn't something that your whole life you had been struggling. Mm -hmm. So in general, was he just a regular 20 something kid?
1: Yeah, he was just a regular 20 something kid guy. He had his challenges and... Is he going to have his business and his business wasn't going well? And, you know, these things, should he go go to college? He didn't want to go to college. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. So he was pretty much a a regular guy with a lot of disappointments, some physical issues. He ended up having a back problem. He had to have extensive surgery for. So I don't know if that led to him, you know, finding opioids. Maybe that was a doorway, you know, to, to heroin. I just don't know.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, at least for my brother-in-law, when he broke his leg, or he broke his ankle, I think, in college playing football, and he said they gave him Oxycontin for the first time, which was very aggressive uh, to give to a 18 year old kid. And he said, and and I actually just read Matthew Perry's book, which is exceptional when it comes to addiction, but he talks about, you know, the first time he took the pill, or my brother-in-law did, he said it was like kissing the face of God, And he Um, knew he would be chasing that for the rest of his life. So I do think pain pills have led to heroin quite often because eventually it's cheaper and easier to get, but catastrophic on every level. So, so I, and we just talked about this a little bit. I'd love to talk about, we obviously grief is a big part of this journey because you lost your son. And I, you know, I didn't lose a child, but I think everybody knows that that, that has a a special place in hell because you they're they're supposed to continue for you and they're supposed to be there for you and they are who you created so you know i'm so sorry for your loss and i and i hate people saying that but i actually haven't come up with anything new yet but once yeah. I do, it's a hard <laughs> one it's a tough one i'll get one. there but why i say there's blessings inside of that is because what you've done since your son died is basically what i think many of us go through which is you changed everything Mm-hmm. And can you talk about what what started that and why his death made you rethink life?
1: Yeah, for sure. So they always say that, you know, there's two kinds of really difficult deaths, an unexpected death and the death of a child. And when you have an unexpected death of a child, it's like the double whammy. And it hit me so hard because Ben and I, my son were so close. And um, I knew he was struggling with his business decisions, going to college, so many things he was struggling with. And I thought, when I come back, I was going to go on this vacation with a friend to South Korea. When I come back, I, we're going to have sit down and have this talk because you know the talks—they're always stressful, right? Is there—is it going to take it well? Is it not? What is the takeoff? What is the landing, right? How can I, you know? So it's—it's it's never easy to have big discussions, and especially with a 27-year-old, you know, it's a little tougher, you know, you have to approach that carefully. So um, I was in South Korea, and I didn't feel well that afternoon, didn't feel well at all, and all of a sudden, I get a call uh, from a number with, that was, you know, unidentified, and I never take those, but something made me just call right back, and a detective answered, and I said, um, you know, who is this, and and he said, "Uh, where are you, and I said, why i'm in south korea and he said what's going i said what's going on is my son hurt he said it's about your son ben i said is he hurt he said i hate to tell you this but he's dead and so you can imagine it oh, was i can <laughs> from what right for how what well, i thought maybe he was in an accident um something like that but a heroin overdose I did see that one coming. <clears throat> and so it took me so long to get back because day is night there, night is day. I had to wait for 12 hours to get on a flight the next morning. And then the flight is 10 and a half, 12 hours. So you can imagine I was a wreck. And so when I was in the airport waiting to get on the plane, all of a sudden Ben appears in front of me, just like his big self right? Smiling, everything. And then he fades away. So in my left brain world, there was a one to answer for this and that he was still alive and he was trying to get out. So I called my ex-husband and said, I think he's still alive. you got to call the ME. I think he's trying to get out. I think he's alive. And so they all humored me and looked in the door and said, I'm sorry, you know, uh, but he's gone. And, And that led to sometimes death is a doorway to spiritualism. And so spiritual life and so it just led to me seeing sensing feeling him around me for a really long time. And in, in fact now we actually work together I do shamanic energy healing and part of what I do is helping souls to transition to the other side. And so we work together so I can call on him and he'll come and he'll he'll help talk to souls. So it's it's kind of it's turned into this amazing path for me um that I stumbled on just luckily because I went to a medium shortly after he died and I said I could feel him but I couldn't hear what he was saying and so I went to the medium I said he's standing right there see he's he's making the candle flicker and if you, but I can't hear what he's saying can you tell me what he's saying so we had this wonderful session and then after she said you know you might have some skills yourself most people have no idea that their loved ones in the room and so Then that began a quest, but the quest was really to spend more time with my son. I didn't really have a quest for much else uh, at that moment. But it, it took me on this journey to find, end up talking to an evolutionary astrologer who said my soul had chosen this path of mystic. And I'm like, what, what's a path of, a I mean, I had no, we're, we're talking like foreign language to me, you know, cause I didn't really have, I didn't really believe in much of anything. I thought alive is alive, dead is dead. That's the end of it. And I, I never really experienced much until this came along. And um, so then I, he said, a woman became a shaman that had a reading like you and I'm a shaman. So three weeks later, I end up calling the four winds and I'm on a plane
2: to California for my first shamanic class. I love it. I mean, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because you say you didn't have, you didn't believe anything before. And there's something really beautiful about that because religion, at least for me, I think gets in the way of some of the death process and the grieving process. Because if you think you know something, Mm -hmm. which none of us know, you can't learn a connection with someone that's gone from going to church. You can't learn from, it's not something intellectual, it's a feeling. And I think, I grew up in a very like kind of Buddhist family. They, everybody believed what they wanted to believe. So, I had a similar experience. My my husband died suddenly. I was in Jamaica. I had a terrible feeling for weeks and months prior. I didn't want to go on the trip. I it was the last day of the event. I was at a spiritual retreat and I just knew my life had changed. I just remember thinking like I'm different. Like everything's changed. And I got a phone call from an unidentified number. I said not now. I won't Good. deal with that. And then I said, Oh my God, no, this is the call. And I called and it was UCLA. And they just said, you know, unfortunately, your husband's gone. And he was 42 and healthy and an athlete. And same thing. I went to the airport and I didn't see Nate, but this at some point when I was hyperventilating on the plane, because I had to get back from Jamaica to get to him and my kids um, who who had seen him die. And I, this, this Jamaican woman stood next, once the, I was throwing up, I was shaking, nobody was talking to me. And once the seatbelt sign went off, she just got up out of her chair and came over and put her hands on her head and on my head and on my chest and said, baby girl, you know, you're not alone. God is with you and he's with you. And I don't know what you're going through, but you're guided and guarded and there's so much love. And I need you to spend the next 10 hours figuring out who you're going to be when this plane lands. Mm, beautiful. And, you know, early on, I felt that kind of sense that this was way bigger than I thought Mm -hmm. and that I could feel Nate, for some reason when I envisioned him dying, I I saw him like kind of hovering above my kids because he died at a trampoline park, like during a birthday party, like only my husband would. Super aggressive, super outlandish, little bit. (laughs) I was like, really? But I imagined him... You know, I, when I when it, when I checked in, and he was floating, and he was just like deciding, do I go back and be with the kids because they were scared, or do I go on? And and what I saw him do is say, like, I'm going, I'm going home, and it was beautiful. Yeah. And I think the magic part about grief, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but it isn't always bad. And sometimes people have to go. And there's only so many ways you can die. And sudden death especially makes me feel at times somebody was like, and seen. You know, and it, it's just like it's a it's time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I love that it led you to a place that you you had never been. I love the idea that you still work with your son, that he is part of your life. I feel the same way. I feel like Nate and I have Nate parents with me. I can like put my hand to my ear and I'll I'll ask him a question and it comes very clearly. Would you can you kind of expand? Because I don't think people understand this, but I think any type of work with, with dead people or any type of relationship you have with them, it takes it takes work like it does if you're in a marriage or you're a parent. Like you have to work with each other, you have to learn about each other, you have to figure out how to communicate best. So Kind of share with me some of the practices or what you learned when you went and started taking classes.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the one thing about the shamanic world is it's sort of comprehensive. And so we really learned to deal with death. You know, the dying is one aspect of it, but the people that are left behind, that's the other client, right? The survivors. And here we are, you know, saying, now what? And so one of the things I learned that. Really struck me in all my travel, so I ended up selling, le- leaving my job, selling everything—my house, my artwork, my cars, my everything—and traveling the world for two and a half years. So I had a, a rather extreme reaction to my grieving, but because I just didn't understand death and grief, I, what 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 is this about? What are we supposed to do? How's this? How am I supposed to go on? And and how am I? What am I going to do with my son who I see? And so, luckily, I came upon the shamanic path. But I think what I learned is that. There's big and momentous events in our life like marriage and parenthood. And we know that that has transformational energy and we know it changes our lives. But in our culture, many cultures, death is sort of off to the side, but it has also got a lot of transformational energy. And if you can tap into the energy of that and realize that in your grieving, you're on a journey. Yeah, people want to say, oh, it's time to move on. It's time to do this. It's time to do. This. I don't know whose time this is. But if you realize that you're on a journey and that maybe there are steps to this journey and figuring out all the steps, where are you stuck? And how can you become lighter? And how can you kind of resurrect? So transformation, resurrection, uh, rebirth is the step of the deceased, but it's also the step of us that are left behind. And then we can get reborn into a life that honors our loved ones. And so how might we do this? What is the process? And so my book is really about the 16 practices that people are familiar with, non-suffering, non-attachment, non-attachment the beauty way, non-judgment, going through all that in a ceremonial way. So we're accessing our our neocortex, the brain of ceremony, and really writing things down and taking them to the fire. So you can write with radical honesty. Hmm. My parents disappointed me. This person disappointed the blah, blah, whoever it is, because nobody's ever going to find it. You're going to burn these things, transformatively with the intention of releasing releasing, and then opening your heart to new ways of perspective, new ways of seeing things. So, so it's a journey and it's transformative and we're all stuck somewhere else. That trilogy, shame, blame, guilt. Yeah, where are you in that shame, blame, guilt? Anger. I, I discovered I was really angry at my son. I was sure. darn
2: Right, you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, right? Don't speak. Oh no, are you kidding me? I literally screamed at him for years, like you bastard! How? What a jerk! I was literally like an asshole. Left me with two kids and a widow at forty. I was like, what an idiot! Right, right. I mean, rude. It's rude. Rude, but
1: allowing that to move through you instead of saying, "Oh yes, he was such a saint." Oh, don't speak ill of the dead, little jerk. Oh, yeah. you know, he's like, like Ben's, like, oh, it's a, it was a boneheaded move. I'm like boneheaded move. Right. It just ruined everybody's life, you know. Hold
2: up.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: It's interesting too, you know, when when you understand and why, you know, I feel like we everybody's trying to figure out where the for a long time I was trying to figure out where he went. Like he like he was at the Hyatt or something. Like I was like, I couldn't find him. I was like, maybe he's not, maybe he's and when you all of a sudden you know, I always think about how, you know, when you go to, uh, when you're Catholic or you go to church and people have no problem thinking that the minister or the priest can talk to God or has a better relationship with Jesus than you do. But we really struggle with people, regular people, thinking they can talk to dead people. But we're fine with a priest. Right, like, right, he somehow, right. like he somehow, right. like, you like can he can got an ATM card for God or something. Like he, right, like, right, right. like he went to a monastery and now all of a sudden he's like, he can talk to God, but we can't. I find that so interesting that there is a culture of anointment like you're special enough so i can't go right to god and jesus i have to go through you it logically makes zero sense in my brain especially when you have a dead person because when you have a dead person for most of us living without them will not work it life simply will not work without them we know now though we can't have them in body form but I always say, like, if, I, if my husband had lost his legs, he still would have been my husband. He just would have been in a wheelchair. Yeah. So when you start to cut off people's bodies, and eventually you realize they would be them forever, Yeah. no matter what, then it starts to get fun because then they start messing with you, and they start sending birds and clouds and songs. And now you start being like, wait, this thing is so—so so death for me has made life so big. Yeah. As opposed to smaller which I think you can get if you think sometimes in a traditional way about it, like right. I loss, I loved,
1: loss, 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 focus on I'm, loss. Yeah. So,
2: do you, so when you, now that you do the work, I mean, I think we're in California, obviously, I'm in LA. You, this is talked about quite a bit, but I grew up on the East Coast, I grew up in Florida. Let me just tell you, people aren't having these discussions, you know? I mean, I have this idea. And I don't think you can because it's so sad in the beginning, but there are so many other cultures that really celebrate this transition. Because honestly, wherever they're going, I'm pretty sure is more fun than being here. For sure. Because I think we come here to work, right? We come here to learn and grow. So how how do you, when people ask you what you do and they just think you're absolutely nutso, <laughs> yeah. how do you explain it and how do you you know, make it so that they don't get turned off by like, it's just too woo-woo.
1: You know, it's really, I just say it like it is now. I just say I do shamanic energy healing. I work with the luminous energy field. I work with spirits. I extract spirits and send them on their way. And I, you know, help people to deal with issues. And and at first I thought, I remember the first time I got a package in the mail with a pendulum in it from from the shamanic warehouse or something. I'm like, oh, shamanic market. So I thought, oh my God, what's the mailman going to think? Like the mailman here. right? But right. Right. I was like, "Oh, it was big." And over time, I realized, "Oh my God, this is this is my calling. This is what I do, and this is my work." And so, you know, the funny thing is too about spirits. People, I say, "Well, if somebody's in heaven, then how can they be coming and visiting you? How can they? That doesn't make any sense." And I always say, "But it's not prison." Right. Right. They're not like stuck there. There's they, not a gate. Whether they can, There's not a gate, right? They can come and go. The question is whether they can come and go freely or if they're stuck somewhere between this earth plane and the highest plane and, and need maybe some help or assistance or they need some healing. And so that's what we want to work with are those souls that are
2: a little bit stuck so that they can go to the highest level. It's funny because it's been, it was five years, two weeks ago for me. And I felt literally that day, I felt that there was this like whew. Like he almost was like, You're good. I can I can go do my thing now. Like I felt this massive release of sadness, massive release of shock. Like the shock was over. Like I believe it now. Like he's gone. I have a new life. I don't know. It was it was a very energetically charged feeling of relief that I have not had for five years. And I do think there's these beautiful timelines that come. And I remember for the first two years, it really felt like I was on a different planet. And so you just, if you really are, if you're attentive to your grief and you're aware and you don't Xanax yourself out or, you know, drink your way out of it and you just sit there in the pain, it eventually becomes this adventure of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, people are like, "How do you get through it?" And I was like, "Because I've watched, I, I have so many examples of people who have lost the unimaginable, small children, accidents, murder, school shootings, and they're thriving. Yeah, not in, not you know, in spite of, but because of, yes, of their loss.
1: That's how you get to that rebirth thing, and." Yeah. And um, so people had signed into my website. So eight things spirits on the other side wish you knew. And one thing that Ben says is that as you are stuck and holding on, so are
2: they stuck a little bit. Oh, I like that. Like you do them a favor when you let go. Yes,
1: you're holding on to their kite string a little bit. And as we go through this process, as painful as it is to even imagine creating a new life in the beginning you're allowing them to do all the fun things on the other side. So recently I was having, you know, the, the problem with grief is this, I think one of the big problems is this endless repetition of holidays. I you hate, know,
2: oh, can, can I, we stop the holidays? Can we just no. stop the holiday? You should do it privately in your home if you're happy because the rest of us want to murder everyone. It's oh, just, yes. I just told some a girlfriend of mine whose daughter has cancer and she's like, this sucks. I'm like, let me tell you something. This time of year from from Halloween till Jan- the end of January, it's just hell. Valentine's Day. Let's, let's forget oh, that. you're too. right. That's the dumbest thing too. I actually would love us to do that. Cancel the holidays. They People don't realize, but like 85% of us are miserable during this time. Yeah. There's like... Fifteen percent of the world that things just went happily well for them this year, but don't worry, right. your shit's coming too. So, yeah. like, enjoy your holiday. You know, it's like right. that's so true. It's it's oh, yeah. you get triggered by the what you think it should be,
1: and, and it's relentless. You know, it's grinding. It wears you down because it's it comes and it's like six or eight months of this blah, and then you just about recover, and then blah, it's there again, right?
2: Yeah, because summer is much. An, uh, summer is a beautiful time to grieve. Yes, it's light longer. You have people. There's stuff not so
1: to do. Many heavy duty
2: holidays. It's with, not dark. It's not so literally dark. Not so literally dark. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so you know, here we are, trying to make the best of things and and
2: and survive and thrive. Right? Thriving is so important. Yeah. Do you do you ever think of death? I'm uh, like just as the opposite end of birth. Like I always think, no one gets all upset about how painful birth is. Birth is, if you do it without an epidural, you die during that experience. I mean, it is, oh, yeah. It is. you lose yourself, you are on another planet. And when right. you first, and, and you are broken, literally physically, broken open, literally. And then you look down at your life and you go, I don't think I can do this. Right, right, that's this, the biggest one. This isn't gonna work. I don't yeah. want it. I mean, you want it, of course you love it. But there are moments of every mother- prayer. uh -uh. Yeah, because you aren't, you don't know anything about that woman that you are yet. You don't know how to live with this child. You love it, but you're like, I don't know how to do this. And that's very similar to when someone exits. So I find it interesting how close the entrance and the exits are, pain, painful wise.
1: And our culture is so bad at rites of passage. So you know, rite of passage between young personhood to um, adulthood, from from. Marriage is supposed to be a celebration of transition, this rite of passage from being single to being married. But we've kind of lost that, that idea. And then becoming, you know, a, a, a maiden sword and now a mother, right? That's a big transition. Transition from being, you know, um, having this person in your life to have them on the other side, right? So all these big transitions, we, we don't celebrate very well. We don't get into the energy of it. We don't talk about how we might work with it in fact people are mostly marginalized and ostracized people well you know don't we're not going to talk about that what the elephant in the room let's not yeah let's not talk god about forbid that. God forbid. we should talk about death and the fact that my son is dead because that would make everybody sad and you know
2: why would anybody want to be sad <laughs> why 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 be sad because yeah Right. Yeah, I always, it's best to just bring up your dead person as awkwardly and as often as possible uh, because then everyone can relax. Like you walk into a room, you're like, anyone want to do heroin? Oh no, sorry. Didn't work out. You know, like it helps people. Yeah, It helps people to go like, hold on a minute. I'm okay, but we we need to talk about it too. Yeah, for sure.
1: It's always those those things about what do we say? What do you say? What do people say? And I think the best thing that somebody ever didn't say was a person that just came and sat with me, handed me tissues and tea and didn't say, "Oh, he's in a better place." If one I thought if one more person says he's in a better place, you too are going to be in a better place.
2: <laughs> I'm really going to And also <laughs> nobody knows where the hell people are, so when you say that they're like, "Bullshit. Yeah. You don't know where he is, so stop telling me that because no.
1: Right. And, and then mothers say, you know, they'll say that about a child in my, she, there's no better place for my child than with me as right, mother. So right.
2: stop it. Don't say it. Right. Yeah. No, I said that to a girlfriend whose husband, I mean, whose father committed suicide, but he was sick. And I was like, he's in a better place. And she's like, no, I want him here. Better place for who? And I was yeah. like, you're right. I'm an idiot. And I've, I've even been through it. We right. should be taking, our kids should be meditating in school. We should be talking about death in school. We no. should be, I mean, forget algebra i don't get it i never got it i don't need it now but i really could have used some understanding about these type of things you know yeah.
1: in the native american culture the lakota truck culture people who have uh are grieving are considered close to spirit and they're yeah. honored and, and you know we're not honored we're almost shutt- shuttled off you know so and if you don't if you grieve too, you, there's no win if you grieve too long you need to be medicated don't grieve long enough in somebody's mind, oh, she didn't care, right? So you might as well just do
2: whatever the hell you want because, right. you know, You're not going to win anyway. No, I love it. Well, Karen, I we could talk. This is
1: for sure. This you is know, I'm
2: I'm moving in this direction because I don't. I just firmly believe that there's enough podcasts about grief in general. There's enough grief in general every day, but but the real beauty and the growth for for all of us would be a, a new way to look at it. And not you're going to feel awful. I'm not ever saying that that. It's never going to be something that you go, oh, I'd like to choose that. But inside of it, if you, if we had a different way of looking at it and talking about it and supporting each other in a really real, honest, magical way, maybe it wouldn't be so scary, and maybe we 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 would get gifts that we don't even know are available yet. Um, mm-hmm. So. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for going from a judge into a shaman, which is just a hell of a career change. Yeah, um, yeah. I love it. And I'm I'm happy for you. I'm happy you're doing this work. I think it's really important. Tell us about your book, just so where people know where they can get it in the it's, website.
1: So it's um, Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on my website, site, karenjohnson.net. I have a free workshop coming up, non-suffering for
2: the holidays. Ooh, that's gonna be fun. It's a good one. And, and you're on Facebook or where do they find that?
1: Facebook, you can find um, Karen Johnson on Facebook. And also okay. I have a business profile on Facebook too. So, and uh, on Instagram, so I'm
2: everywhere. Okay, thank you so much. I'm so glad we talked and I wish you and your son on your in your different realm business. Um, yes. And you and your husband, yes. Raising that. kids in a different way, for sure. Wow. For sure. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh-huh. thank you for listening. And remember, keep going.
0: It gets better. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.